God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome back to another episode of Family Discussion. It's great to be with you today. My name is Marcus Ortega and I'm joined by my co-host Lisa Spencer. And uh, this is a little bit of a different episode for us. First of all, it's been weeks since we've gotten a chance to sit down and talk with one another uh, because of some things that were going on pastorally for me and with Lisa's job, which we'll talk about later, maybe toward the end of the episode. Um, But while we've been gone, Lisa, it has been... Uh, absolute nightmarish couple of weeks. Um, you know, the background of everything is still the Russia-Ukraine conflict that I think we've not been able to talk about recently because of some of the other things going on, but it has been an absolutely brutal couple of weeks. What, Lisa, what is going on in our society right now? It seems like we're just ripping each other to pieces. It's, it just feels like it's imploding, you know, and I don't want to be one of those, you know, chicken little, oh, the world is coming to an end. I mean, we, we do know that everything is moving towards a consummation, right? And we can expect, just given what we know, what scripture says about the forces of darkness um, who rage their assault against the kingdom of God, right? That's been going on. Since the beginning, since, you know, since the fall. Um, So, you know, so we know that, but it just seems that lately it is just amplified. It has just exploded just in the span of two weeks. Every time you turn around, there's, there's just a, a, you know, evil. Yeah. on, On full display. I mean, there's not even another word for it. It's just evil. It's wickedness. And, you know, I think we go back a couple weeks, right? And it's the Buffalo shooting that took place um, just a couple of weeks ago. It feels like forever ago based on the news cycle. But um, this was a an explicit, intentional white supremacist violence against African-Americans the targeting of that particular grocery store, the targeting of that particular zip code, all of it was an attack specifically on African Americans. And Lisa, we've spoken a lot about race on this show. How are you processing what happened in Buffalo a couple of weeks ago? What are, you know, it has been a couple of weeks, but hard to truly mourn it because of other things that we'll get to. But, um, when you think back to what's going on in Buffalo, what are some of the things you process through this? It just, it, to me, it's a reminder that, you know, look, let's, let's put our, our ideological conflicts aside. 
let's put discussions about CRT and debates about CRT aside. What we witnessed was the fact that there is still hate in the human heart. The fact that this kid, and he was, I think, what was he, like 18? Something like you that, know, yeah. That, you know, this kid intentionally, intentionally drove well, over 200 miles. I know it was several hours, right? So this wasn't like, oh, let me go around the corner because I saw a couple of black people. It's the kind of intentionality that you have to have to, you know, to pack it up, drive over 200 miles for hours just to target. Yeah. And, and then we have, you know, we have documentation and this, you know, in terms of what his thought pattern was, what his motivation was, look, I get that there's a, you know, we're, we're kind of in some, you know, in a lot of cases, amplifying race, race, we're, you know, racializing everything when it shouldn't be, when there are other factors likely involved, um, and particularly in the church, you know, where we really want to see each other as humans first, right? I get that. But don't let those type of conflicts interfere with what actually is. And what actually is, is somebody intentionally targeted Black people. The fact is that th that type of thinking still exists, you know, and it does us no good, absolutely no good to, you know, to, to um, sweep it under the, the woke rug, right? Yeah. We need to face what actually has happened and why it's happened. Yeah, and and we have to be able to say without fear of being labeled, he's not a lone wolf shooter. No. He might have acted alone in this particular instance, but he comes from a soup that is out there. He was live streaming this. There were people who were watching. There are people who wanted to see it. There are people who egged him on. There is a community of people who is encouraging this kind of racial hatred and racial violence. The rhetoric is not mere rhetoric. It turns into action. It turns into actual bloodshed. Um, racism kills people. And this is just a very explicit picture of that. And I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I don't. I mean, we can say, well, the answer is the gospel. Sure, of course, the answer is the gospel. But uh, how do we stop people from committing these kinds of white supremacist crimes? I don't know. But I do know that pretending like white supremacy is a thing of the past is not going to be the answer. It clearly is still around. It's in a different form. We don't see the KKK marching down Fifth Avenue in New York. Like, I know it's a different time. Well, we did have Charlottesville, so well, there's that. All right. I was, I was trying to give us a little... Oh, uh, well, we did have Charlottesville. But that's the point. Like, it's, it's still here, and we talk about it as if it's past tense only, and... I think that, especially as people of faith, especially as Christians, we have to be able to name it, and we have to be able to address it in loving, Christ-like ways if we're going to be able to move forward. And 
we got to talk to our congregations about this. we got to talk to our kids about this. There's got to be a way to do it that doesn't take our eye off the ball of the mission of Christ through the church. But man, we can't, we can't leave this to social scientists. The pastors and theologians have to be the ones bringing some sort of, of diagnosis and answer to what's going on. Um, I don't, I, I mean, we had Buffalo and then, so here's what happened in my context. We prayed for, uh, what happened in Buffalo on the following Sunday and we're here on the East coast. Um, so I get home that Sunday and, um, you know, there'd been a couple things I was doing after church, got home a couple hours after we were done and the news was already starting to break about a shooting in a church in California. And whenever it's a church, I mean, I've, because I am a Christian, it hits even a little closer to home, right? Um, turns out this was also an act of ethnic hatred. Um, this was a Chinese person who had gone in and intentionally targeted Taiwanese people because of the China Taiwan conflict that's that's still been happening for a long time. So so we're not talking about white supremacy, we're, but we are talking about ethnic hatred in California. Um Lisa when when ethnic hatred like this hits the church, I I don't I don't even know how to respond. I was just so broken by this. I think cuz I was so fresh and raw from Buffalo that this one just it hit harder than some of the other shootings that i've that i've seen right you know one of one of my one of my main concerns about our discourse today and you know and and ties into what's going on with social media is how much people are being defined according to an ideological paradigm as or you know a political paradigm as opposed to being human beings and i think that we're really losing what it what it means to be made in the image of God. We're losing sight of that, where people are basically widgets of a particular paradigm mm. and not necessarily people. So when you look at what happened with um, in Buffalo, right? The, these were not people, but they were representative of a group that this person hates that this person believes is, you know, we, there was a lot of talk about replacement theory, right? Um, you look at the shooting in California, these were not Christians who were in church worshiping. They were a product of a political enemy, right? And I think, and, and unfortunately, social media, where, I, where we are with that, particularly on Twitter, is that it's, you know, that dehumanization is, it's just increased, in my opinion. The, what, what's at the heart? What's at the heart of the ownership mentality here? Because I think that's, that's something that, that is equal in both the Buffalo shooting and the California shooting. Replacement theory is this is our country, this is our place, and uh, invariably it's, Democrats or liberals are the bad guys who are using policies and leveraging things to replace the white population with African-Americans, Latinos, stuff like that. So the same idea 
um, was in play in El Paso about three years ago when there was a shooting there at a Walmart. Uh, it was targeting Latinos, but it was the same theory, replacement theory. And then when you look at the Chi- the, the Chinese, uh, the China and Taiwan conflict here, it's about China saying we own Taiwan. We are one China. That is us. Do, you're not going to you're not going to be your own thing. It's a don't take what is mine is at the heart of both of these. And 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 why are we seeing that, I think, amplified right now, this sense of don't take what's mine? What, what do you think is behind that? I think, well, I mean, it, you know, the easy answer, it goes back to the fall. Sure, but yeah. when you look at, you know, when you look at it, it's quite the opposite. So the God who created everything, who gave humans stewardship over what he created so that they would reflect back to him. The impact of the fall says now it no longer belongs to him. It belongs to us. It belongs mm. to me. And so that's where you have you know, pride and greed and covetousness, you know, all of those underlying sins pop up because of the fall, because that what was what was intended for good, you know, for man to reflect, to, you know, to acknowledge this is not mine. This is this is our father's world. Right. Um, then now it's it's mine to do with what I please. And so when you have those nefarious purposes at, at play, then that's then you see what we see. Yeah, and and you know that is a great thing to point out: the taking of our eyes away from this belongs to the Lord and and claiming it for ourselves. That that radical autonomy that's at the heart of the of the the sinful heart uh, is the core of the sinful heart. I also think that, um, and, and maybe this is how we can transition to the to the shooting in texas um there is there's demonic power at play here Mm -hmm. i mean that that's as people who have spiritual eyes to see we have to recognize there is demonic activity satanic activity at play here in the violence that we're seeing in buffalo and california and we haven't even mentioned all the shootings i mean this is we're hitting the ones that maybe have the biggest headlines but we there were many other shootings that have taken place over the last couple of weeks um some of them even mass shootings um and the demonic activity the 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 evil that is wrought by satan himself in the hearts of people that would lead them to kill this way i think we have to identify his work in this this yes. is not just this is not just mental illness this is not just access to guns this is not just politics and and ethnic strife this is demonic influence satanic attack um not against the united states as a political entity but a satanic attack against the god of creation and his image bearers and uh I, I just I, I don't hear a lot of that conversation happening right now. This is demonic, and I think we have to identify it as such. Amen. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against princi- principalities and powers. Um, it that's yeah, that's absolutely. We really have to recognize that, especially before we launch into our 
political punditry, which, I, you know, I don't know. I know, listen, I know we all have opinions. Um, you know, we have opinions about gun control. We have, you know, opinions about how to stem racism. We have, you know, lots of opinions. And we have easy access to voice those opinions. But when you see these kinds of tragedies um, unfold, right, where, where people are, there's not just a loss of life, but people, the families and friends, co-workers, you know, people are impacted. There's, this is, these are trauma inducing events. It's okay if we just got kind of hold pull back our opinions for a little bit, especially when you have little children involved. Well, and and I mean, I I've been really quiet on Twitter over these last few weeks, and and part of it is because of some of the pastoral work I've been doing um, that I'm going to kind of keep quiet to myself. But um, also, I haven't known what to say in a way that would be beneficial. I just don't know. I I have opinions. Uh, I'm angry at some things. I just don't know how tweeting that is helpful. Um, and especially because in my emotional response to what's happening, I don't know that my ideas are fully formed. And so beyond an unhelpful emotional response or included in that unhelpful emotional response would be an, a half-baked idea that is even less helpful than the emotional response. And so I, I just, it is awful what has happened. The, the Texas shooting, as soon as you bring elementary school kids into the picture, it, it just, it guts us. Um, you know, we, we are 10 years from um, Sandy Hook in the next state over from where I'm at. Um, it, is in, it, it, it is chilling when you drive the freeway through Connecticut out of New York, um, you drive for a while and you pass the exit to Sandy Hook. And um, and it's it makes you sit back for a second. Like, that's a, that's a town that I had never heard of. The Sandy Hook Elementary School, is, is a, that's a place I'd never heard of in my life. It has one meaning to me. It is the place where wickedness and death took place. I don't know Uvalde, Texas. Never heard of it before in my life. I'm from the Southwest, but this is not a very big town in Texas. And uh, I will never forget the name of that town now. Um, it's etched into our minds because of what took place. And Lisa, I'm, I've am i never... I, I have driven through Texas. You lived in Texas for a while. I did. Um, how are you processing what took place in your former state home? Well, that was, um, so where this took place is just outside San Antonio, mm -hmm. which is the, at the southern tip of south, the southeast tip of Texas. And I lived in Dallas. So in the north part of Texas, of course, having gone to San Antonio a few times for work and then just to, you know, just to hang out, um, you know the one thing about San Antonio, it is a has a has a it does have a substantial Latino population, and I understand that this particular town was primarily um, primarily Latinos, yeah. um, Latino families. Yeah, and and you know I I spent a lot of time in small town 
southwestern uh, you know the the it's the desert there's a there's a way of life down there um it's not quite the same in Arizona as it is in western Texas or eastern Texas well, I don't know my geography of Texas very well but um it's there is a slower more communal way of life in these small towns that renders them somewhat unprepared for this level of violence um and i i will be honest i have not read a lot i have not watched a lot i saw what happened and i just don't have it in me i can't watch the videos of the families i can't read the the detailed reports of what happened i have been paying a little more attention to the reports over the last couple of days of the response to the shooting uh from law enforcement and i have so many questions a lot of people have a lot of questions i i am deeply disturbed at what appears to have happened and there's a part of me that just keeps holding out for a piece of information that's going to make it all make sense but i really don't think that piece of information exists i just i i i don't have words for the response to the shooting um from from law enforcement but you know, there are 19 children gunned down in an elementary school, 10 and 11-year-olds. Um, 10 and 11-year-old Latina and Latino children. I have an 11-year-old Latina. That's that's my little girl. So when I look at these pictures, I'm like, uh, I see some of the same characteristics in these little ones that I see in my own daughter. It, it does hit home. And so I have tried not to spend too much time with it because I don't know that I have the emotional capacity to be able to do that in a healthy way. Have you found yourself having to turn things off a lot more or like, how are you navigating being aware of what's going on and protecting your own health? Yeah. Um, you know, you have to be, I think just very judicious about, you know, what you see, especially when you're, you know, when you're scrolling through Twitter and you, you see this or that. I haven't seen any videos. I've seen some pictures of some of the community afterwards, some of the parents, and that's it. That's all I want to see. I do not want to see pictures of bodies no. of blown up children. I, I, I don't even understand the, you know, the interest in that um that alone i i just think it, it would be an image that would be etched in my brain and not in a good way um because my understanding is that some of the children were so badly shot that they're you couldn't recognize right them based based on you know just based on physical characteristics and it took you know, DNA yeah. samples. Like I can't even, I can't even wrap my head around that. Right. Yeah. And so I do think it, you know, it's, it's just being judicious with, you know, with the time spent in reading information. I'll tell you, I did have a moment. I was, um, I was in Burlington uh, returning something. And before I left, I had to go to the bathroom and on my way back to the restroom, I had to walk through the kids section. And so there was a rack of shoes with like, you know, toddler through, yeah. you know, little kids. 
And when I saw those shoes, it was just such a, a powerful reminder of what just happened. Like these were the size shoes yeah. that were on the feet of those kids, you know? And so things like that, yeah, they're going to hit us. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I'm just, you know, I'm wanting to get just enough information, but not absorb myself in it. Yeah, I'm I'm working hard at that as well, because I, it just, you know, I can understand some people saying, show the images of the children in kind of a, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, of Emmett Till's mother. Hmm. Um, to say, this is what it looks like. Don't look away. This is what it looks like when a child is killed in 1955. Um, this is what it looks like when a mass shooter comes into an elementary school. But two important things there. One, Emmett's mom made that decision. Not law enforcement, not the media. She made that decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, if parents make a make a decision to make that kind of a, a public um, statement, I may not look. I don't know that I, I have that in me, but I can understand because there's a th that's the correlation I can make. Mm -hmm. The second thing that is so different is the existence of social media. And social media has been utilized, um, by these disaffected young men to recruit others to their cause. That's what we saw in Buffalo, right? That the, the streaming of the shooting in Buffalo was a recruitment tape, basically. Do what I'm doing. It's a copycat in, invitation. Um, what we're seeing in Texas is, is somebody who carries out a Columbine type of, of shooting. And what we don't want are people seeking any kind of fame out of this, any, you know, wanting to follow up. And because of the way social media works, I don't know that the images of the children would have the same Emmett Till reaction. I just think that I think it would be used in exactly the wrong way. I think that 99% of us won't look and the 1% that does look is the 1% we don't want looking. Right. And so, like, it just, I, I, I understand where people are coming from if they're thinking of kind of a, a historic analog to Emmett Till, but it's just, it's not the same. And um, I, I, I agree with you. I think that the lasting images of these little ones ought to be the pictures of them in softball uniforms and holding up their... Um, holding up the certificates that they had gotten that morning. It's just like, even talking about it makes me so angry. They're two days away from the end of the school year, for crying out loud. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that as we um, process this, we do have to seriously consider um, how are we as a nation protecting and elevating the protection of image bearers. What does that mean? I don't know. I, I, I don't, I have my opinions. I don't necessarily want to get into them right now, but there are conversations that have to be had. And I hope that serious people who have been elected are having them. Um, 
And I think that in our churches, we have to be having them as well. How do we, how do we care for our families as they're dealing with this kind of awfulness in, in the world? So during these couple of weeks of gun violence, we also were dealing with in the church because as if the gun violence was enough, but here we here we go. It's it's <laughs> been just like I, Twitter has been an absolute, um, just it's just it's been a pit of despair, um, because you're you're working through all these people responding to the the gun violence that has been visited on these communities, and now we also have this this uh, sexual violence that has been carried out within the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and has been covered up. Survivors have been mistreated. And the largest Protestant denomination in the United States has actively worked against the protection and safety of women and children in their affiliated churches. And, and as we were talking about before, Lisa, this is a sliver this is an investigation into the executive committee of the SBC. This is not an investigation into the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. This is 20 years. This is very narrow. Um, and, infuriatingly, would not have happened. Even this little bit of an inf- investigation would not have happened had the Houston Chronicle not put a report out there a couple years ago that shamed the SBC into saying, oh, maybe we should actually take a look. Um, As heartbroken as I am over the gun violence that we've seen, I am feeling an equal amount of anger to the leadership of the largest denomination in the country. And I am trying to sit on it right now and not say the wrong thing so lisa i'm gonna hand it to you and you know hopefully you won't say the wrong thing i i hope uh, you know there's a likely chance uh under these kind of circumstances that i just might but i'm gonna do my very best um again i think it ties into something i said a few minutes ago about losing losing our anthropology or maybe never even having a good doctor of anthropology to begin with, right? That if you see women as widgets, if they are just objects occupying your church and put in a box defined by what they cannot do, right? What they are not supposed to do, what they are not supposed to say, then it kind of makes sense. And then if you treat if you treat the church of Jesus Christ as sort of your own, you know, little institutional fiefdom, right? It goes back to that, you know, the the impact of the fall, right? Yeah. yeah. It's no longer the Lord's, but it's mine. Now in theory, I'm sure you ask somebody, who's the head of the church? It's Jesus Christ. But are you operating in a manner that acknowledges that it is his church and not yours, right? Because what I have seen, to me, what has become very evident in, you know, not just this report, but how the whole issue of, 
uh, sexual abuse in the church is treated, and I say church, I mean, we know it's it's been prominent in the SBC, but we know this, this the SBC is not alone. Right. And that it's just this institutional protection, right? You have to protect the abusers because they're the ones who are set up to navigate the institution, to give the institution a good name. And so God forbid, you know, these 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 other factors come into, you know, come into the way uh, and disrupt that, you know, that institutional progress, quote unquote, because we know it's not progress. And again, it is a, to me, it is an undermining, it's an undermining of the image of God, right? It's an assault on the image of God, because instead of looking at people as people, as image bearers, now they're just widgets in this institutional paradigm. You know, it, it's the the way it has been um, leveraged, the way that the gospel has been leveraged to discount the voices of survivors, the way it has been leveraged to um, cover up the sins of ministers within the Southern Baptist Convention is straight up demonic. Like I, I'm going to use the same word that I used for the shooting in Buffalo and the shootings in Texas and California. This is demonic, satanic, counterfeit church work that is happening within the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't believe all Southern Baptist churches are counterfeit churches. Don't overread what I'm saying, listener. Um, I am saying that when the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention is worried about liability and is worried about the cooperative program donations because then it would get in the way of the preaching of the gospel around the world so we will sacrifice the women and children of our churches for the sake of the gospel is satanic that's and it's wicked. not that for the sake of the gospel. It's, the, it's for the sake of the institution. It's for the sake let, of the institution. Call, Amen. Let's just call it what it is. It's They're using the gospel as a shield. And that is that is just... It's blasphemous. This is the gospel. This is the only good news <laughs> that we have in this world. That, that Jesus has established his kingdom... And is growing it, and we can join that kingdom through the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we can be filled with the Spirit, which sets us on His mission. That's gospel good news. And to use that as a shield to protect ministers of the gospel who are committing sex crimes against people in their congregations. I, I don't even, like, I don't know. I don't know how much more wicked you can get. It is evil, and uh, and yet, even as this report has been out there, even as I'm hearing people react in horror, I think Russell Moore might have broken six computers writing his article for Christianity Today in response. Like I, I, the you could feel the rage coming through his article. 
while I have heard the outrage, I am also still hearing people within a particular section of the Southern Baptist Convention saying that it was wrong to waive attorney-client privilege, that doing the, that, that if they follow the suggestions of guideposts, that they are becoming pragmatists and abandoning oh. the ways of the scriptures. These guys run conferences! Yeah. I, Scary. I don't like... I, I don't know what to do with that. But oh my goodness, if we think that the wickedness has been completely exposed within the SBC, it has not. There's more to come. And to pivot this away from the SBC, because we're not in the SBC, and I normally don't talk this much smack about another denomination, but I'm just, I'm angry <laughs> about this mm -hmm. one. Um, you're in the PCA. Mm -hmm. I'm in the EPC. And I hope that, I, I know your denomination has already done some work. I hope yes. that my denomination will see what has happened in the SBC and will proactively put in similar safeguards that guidepost is recommended to the SBC. I hope we are putting in safeguards. I hope that we are doing our due diligence to ensure that what happened in the SBC cannot happen in the EPC. That's my hope. Um, and I've got GA next month. And so I might have to say a couple things to a couple people to make sure that we are putting those safeguards in place. And I do trust that we are. I believe we are. I, I, I know the leaders of my denomination. They're good men and good women. Uh, but if we're not, we are, at this point, willfully blinding ourselves to the potential of what's happening in our churches. Um what happened in the PCA? I saw a report came out from you guys as well. Um, yes. So that was a study committee report. I haven't really read much on it. Yeah, I have. I mean, um, I haven't will either, be, to be honest. They'll, they will discuss it at the upcoming GA next month. And so I'm eager to tune in, Okay. Um, you know, to, to hear more about that. But again, it's... Um, and it's not to say that there have not been cases in the PCA. Um, there's one recent case, um, which in, in my opinion is fury, infuriating. And what it is, it, it, it's the same thing. Like the root of this is all the same. It's a teaching elder being protected by his friends for, you know, instead of instead of the call to repentance, instead of a call, uh, um, you know, a naming of what has been wrong, it, there's protection. Um, it's, um, and when you look at that, it's, first of all, it's, it is a very, it's a worldly mindset, right? When you start talking about, you know, um, job protection and institutional preservation, that is a worldly mindset. And it's so contrasted to when I think about the historical redemptive narrative of scripture, right? From the beginning, from the time that God called the people to himself. Say what you want about the Old Testament. And, you know, the in the Old Testament, the backdrop were very violent nations, right? I mean, we talk about dehumanization. There are practices that were just, you know, the norm. Um, where people were not treated as people. And what God did 
with the, the rendering of his law, the rendering of his commands, is he elevated life. He elevated humanity above and beyond what the surrounding nations were doing. Um, and so when I see a reversal of that <laughs> going on in the church, it's like, well, you guys are following the way of the world. This is not the way of Jesus. And when we do that, using the Old Testament, God has some strikingly harsh words. Um, I, I, I feel these two major emotions. I, I am a little bit upset, confused, and very, very sad over the gun violence in the United States. That's the world. And as people in a democracy, we have an ability to influence that as the church. We have a duty to speak to it. But as awful as it is, what I tell my congregation all the time, don't be surprised when the world is the world. We lament it. Our hearts break over it. Injustice should anger us. But we ought not be surprised. When we go into the church, the metrics change. I am not so much lamenting what I saw in the SBC. I'm just mad uh, because these are the, these are the these are supposed to be the shepherds. And here's what God says to the shepherds in Ezekiel 34. Because what He says to the what we get out of Ezekiel 34 is in the back half, and it's the good. I will be your shepherd, and I will lead you. Why? Because he's already said some harsh things to the shepherds who were supposed to be doing the work in the first place. Here's what he says. I'm going to read the first ten verses. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel saying, saying that. Here's the word of the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Or, we can put that in today's language, prophesy against the shepherds of the church. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth and none with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Not rescue my sheep from the mouths of wolves, but from the mouths of the shepherds who actually are the wolves. And that's what we've seen. That's what we've seen. And and I I do believe, and, and I'm, I'm not the only one. There's, there's an SBC insider. I was sent this blog today. Um, it, it's an interesting article from a guy named uh, Nathan James Norman. 
He's been in the SBC for quite some time. And the title of the article is Jesus Fighting Against the Southern Baptist Leadership. And he makes a compelling case. Um, if you devour the sheep, and that's what we've done to the women in our churches, or at least what has happened in when, when you see this happen in a church where not just a woman is abused, that's awful enough, but that the shepherds protect themselves instead of care for the injured sheep, they are doing exactly what the shepherds of Israel were doing, and God says, I'm against you. May, may we never find ourselves in a place where we have so abused the sheep that God sets his face against us. And I, I don't know that he has, but oh my goodness, if there was ever a time, this might be it. So I, I hope that our denominations, PCA, EPC, that other non-SBC denominations are looking at this and taking a very deep look into their own denominations, into the hearts of their ministers. Man, we have work to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, this should make you angry. It's okay to be angry at this. Um, and, and we have to figure out how to be angry and not sin. I, I, I think I've successfully done that today. <laughs> but oh my goodness. The shepherds have been eating the sheep. And it is a profound wickedness. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I'll be done with my soapbox. Lisa, um, I've said enough. Um, yeah, as we're closing up, as we're thinking about these violences against the image of God, a violence against the image of God in the world and a violence against the image of God in the church, how do you stay hopeful? How, how, do, you, how do you keep moving forward? Well, a couple things. One is, um, you know, the, the, the end goal in sight, because, again, we know that everything is marching towards a consummation of Christ's kingdom, that one day he will set everything right as it should be, as it was intended to be in those first two chapters of Genesis. Um, but in the meantime, we can look at the goodness of the Lord. He, right. I was struck a, a by um, by very familiar passage this morning and just kept thinking about it in Philippians 4, 8, mm. right? Whatever, whatever is good, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is of excellence, think on those things, right? And we can think about what is what kind of world is it that God created? How was it intended to be? How does the gospel of Jesus Christ transform us, make us right? Not just right with God, but right with each other so that we actually see people as they are supposed to be seen and not as widgets, not as products of an ideological parent. Well, you know, in that vein of seeing the good and treating people as people, I wonder if you could share one of the reasons why we didn't record for a few weeks is you were preparing for something in Roanoke that I I have to I, I have to get down there and see this at some point, but it's something that I absolutely love, which is a major part of your job, uh, and it's called Local Colors. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, the organization is Local Colors, okay. um, and so our mission is to, I'm the executive director of the of this nonprofit, Local Colors of Western Virginia. 
And the organization actually emerged out of event, an event that started in 1991. It started on a very small scale, and that was to um, recognize and celebrate the cultures of four different countries. And at that time, it was Korea, Kenya, Russia, and China. Mm. And the representative for China, Pearl Fu, had in her mind that she this is something that should happen every year for the people there in Roanoke who are of, of different heritages. And that, now at the time, right, this was over 30 years ago, it there was not nearly the diversity, not nearly the presence of many different ethnicities, different nationalities in Roanoke. You'd be surprised. I mean, we're talking about a city of, well, a population of 100,000. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah. Um, you know, when you include, like, the broader area, it's about 300,000. That's not a lot. And yet, there are over 100 different ethnicities. Wow. And so our organization, which emerged out of this festival, which was to bring different cultures together, um, to recognize, to celebrate them, um, primarily through food, which, is, of course, as anyone knows, that's my favorite. Um, <laughs> I make I, I make no bones about it. Um, but you know, through a por- through performances, through cultural displays, and so this is a festival. Even in the early years, by 1995, this thing just exploded. So that by 1995, there were about 30 different countries represented. Um, and so this has been local color signature event. The organization actually wasn't established officially until 2000. Okay. Um, so it emerged out as a festival. It is our signature event, um, bringing many different cultures together. It opens up with an opening ceremony that has a parade of nations. Awesome. Um, so people who, you know, they come in, um, sometimes they're by themselves, sometimes they're with a group, they're carrying their flag. They're in cultural dress. We have speeches from elected officials about you really just recognizing the different heritages that are there. And then for the afternoon, it's an afternoon of performances and, and you know, um, dance and music and um, some martial arts demonstrations. So we've had a, we had a variety of that. So one representing one group representing Kung Fu, which is from China, another representing Kendo, which is Japanese. Okay. Um, okay. And then there we had over 40 vendor booths, um, 12, 12 of those food, like cooking food, uh, I, you know, food that was, that was cooked. I yeah. wish, I mean, I was working, so you didn't get as much, I wish right? I could have hit up more booths uh, than I did, but I had some good food. Let me <laughs> tell you. <laughs> um, but just seeing so many different people, you know, and thousands come out to this event. So this is why I've been out of pocket for a few weeks. We haven't been able to record because it's a big undertaking. I work with a, a team, our steering committee and volunteers have to be recruited. It is a really big undertaking, uh, but so worth it. So worth all of the effort. And the thing is like the organization is not a Christian organization, right? But when I, because I look at it through the lens of my Christianity and look at it through the lens of a God who created the world, right? Yes. And how as people spread, 
that different, you know, different languages and different cultures emerged in these different places. And so to have all of that come together, it's a, a reminder to me of the God who created the world full of big, you know, it's a big world full of a lot of diversity. And to be able to appreciate that, to be able to appreciate the different cultural heritages, especially in one in one place, you know, it's just a reminder that at the end of the day, we are human. You know, at the end of the day, we are made in the image of God. And so you have contrasting with you know, all of the, you know, image undermining, denying evil that has been taking place, that you have something that is very positive and very beautiful. Ukraine was there um, mm. in full force. They had a booth. We actually had Wonderful. them marching first Amen. in the um, um, parade of nations. And, you know, just to see the crowd, you know, cheer when they came in. Yeah. Um, you know, it's saying, you know, we support you, you know, and that's the kind of thing it remind it, it brings me back to Philippians 4, 8. Amen. Right. These are the things that we, we have to strive in our day of evil with all kinds of wickedness exploding. We have to strive for thinking about that, which is good, striving for that, which is good. Amen. Amen. Well, Lisa, thank you for this conversation and uh, difficult subjects, but I, I think it was important that we, we talk these things through and, uh, you know, we'd, we'd love to hear people's responses. Um, let us know how you're processing through things, how you're handling things. I hope you're staying healthy. Like that's the major thing. Don't overexpose yourself. Um, care for yourself as you're seeing the things that are going on. Um, and then, you know, a, a special word, especially to survivors of abuse, um, get help, get the help you need. If your church is not the help that's there, there are hotlines, there are places you can go. Um, please know that you're not alone in this and um, that even if your church has rejected you, there are Christians who love you and are praying for you and know that you're there. So um, thank you, Lisa, for this conversation. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back soon. Uh, we hope very soon, but who knows what life might throw at us again next. And uh, so we'll see you again soon here at Family Discussion. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion. <laughs>